My God, somebody ought to go ahead and shout right now. Somebody ought to go ahead and shout right now. Why should I wait? I ain't waiting on you to shout. I ain't waiting on my neighbor to shout. I've got a reason to praise him today. I remember the story of Moses as he sat on the mountaintop observing the battle that was taking place in the valley below him. And the Bible said that as long as his hands were in the air, that the children of Israel succeeded in victory. But as his hands would begin to fall, then the enemy would begin to take over. And so two strong young men came over and lifted up the hands of the man of God. And as his hands were lifted, there was no chance of the enemy defeating God's people. How many of you know what the universal sign of victory is? Your hands in the air are a sign to the kingdom of hell that you are victorious. And there's something about a saint of God that has a revelation that in the middle of my battle and in the middle of my struggle, I still got my hands in the I refuse to come into church on a Tuesday and let my tired body cause my hands to fall and let my worrisome week cause me to be tired. There's something that happens when you walk into his presence and you lift your hands in the air. All of hell takes notice. Oh, I just need about 200 people in this building tonight. You ought to throw your hands in the air and don't wait until the battle is over. Somebody ought to take a moment and shout right. Don't wait until God brings your miracle. Shout now. Don't wait till God opens the door. Shout right. I know it's Tuesday, but I dare somebody to throw your hands in the air and give God a shout of victory in this place. Come on, get those hands in the air. Get those hands in the air. You see these hands, devil? I still got my praise. You tried to distract me, but I still got my worship. You tried to keep me from the house of God, but here I am. Come on, somebody put those hands together and give him some praise. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My God, anybody thankful for what we feel in this place tonight? Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment if you can. Hallelujah. My God, it's a little bit dangerous in this service tonight. 
I feel a little bit of an overflow from Sunday night in this place. Can't no devil in hell hold me. Somebody's higher tonight. Somebody done shook off all the dirt uh, that Satan's been trying to throw on your back uh, and used it to step up a little higher this week. Uh, somebody shook off uh, all of the mess uh, the enemy tried to bury you with. Uh, and tonight, <laughs> Woo. tell your neighbor, cheer up. God's still in control. No, 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 no. Find, find the other neighbor, the one that's uh, listening. Tell him, cheer up. Uh, God is in control. Uh, don't you know the Bible says uh, that the joy of the Lord uh, is your strength? Somebody all get their joy bucket out tonight. Uh, I'm getting some strength in this house. Uh, I'm getting some strength in this house. Uh, I'm getting some strength in this house. Oh, where do you get joy? Oh, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is neither meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You ought to just speak in tongues for a few moments and let your strength be restored. You ought to just speak in tongues for a few moments and let the Holy Ghost, whoa, yes, 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 hallelujah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Tell your neighbor, excuse me a moment while I fill up tonight. Excuse me a moment while I get my tank filled up real quick. Excuse me a moment while I let the Holy Ghost. You can sit there if you want to. I'll take your blessing. I'll take your mirror. Come on, give it to me. Is there anybody here that came hungry, that came thirsty, that came expecting something? Whoa! Yes! Hallelujah! Y'all supposed to be sitting down. Y'all supposed to be sitting down. Did y'all forget what, what day it is this week? This ain't Sunday night. It's Tuesday. <laughs> Whoa! My God! Don't play with it. Don't play with it. If you're going to praise him, uh, you might as well do it tonight. Uh, if you're going to dance, you might as well do it uh, with all your heart tonight. Come on. Pastor, you don't know what I've been dealing with. Let the weak, let the weak say I'm strong. Let the weak 
you got to speak a prophecy over your life. Hey, rejoice not against me, oh, mine enemy. For when I fall, My God, I feel some getting up strength in this house tonight. I feel some resurrection power in this place tonight. a lot of Holy Ghost in this building tonight. Put your hands together one more time and give him a praise. Glory, glory, glory. Anybody thankful for what the Holy Ghost been doing around this house? So wonderful to have all of our guests in the building. You, 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 can, you can just remain standing and run the aisles and dance if you want to, I guess. What a privilege it is to have all of our guests with us tonight. Amen. Would you help me put your hands together one more time and give a great big applause for all of our guests that are in that? We could do just a little bit better than that. Come on. Let them know how honored we are to have them. So excited to have you in the house of the Lord with us tonight. Those that are here in the service, those that have tuned in on our live stream tonight, thank you for joining us. We're so delighted to have you. God's been doing some great things here. Sunday uh, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, the Holy Ghost fell in a powerful way. Katiana was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And then tonight before the service even started, Shaylin was baptized in Jesus' name and came out of the water speaking in other tongues. And now she got her hands lifted, giving God the praise. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank God for what he's doing tonight. Amen. Amen. I, I want to say a very quick thank you tonight to all of the incredible people who help to make every church service here an incredible experience. So many people are working behind the scenes and off of the platform in areas that we don't notice, and we simply could not be doing what we do without all of them. And so I want to just say thank you to some of them tonight. I want to say a great big amen. I want to say thank you tonight to Brother Steve Lundy and the entire Usher staff for doing such a great job. How many of you thank God for them tonight? Helping to keep things in order from the time people pull into the parking lot. And if you see some guys running around here uh, looking like 007 with earpieces in and a serious look on their face, don't mess with them. They're on a mission. But uh, thank God for them. And then I want to thank God tonight for our First Impressions team and Sister Renee Dominguez who is the director over our First Impressions team. Would you help me give God a great big thank you, a great big welcome. Thank you, Sister Dominguez. Her and her team do such an amazing job week after week after week. Uh, we, we are in contact with brand new guests and people who come to this church who are just blown away 
by the love of God that they feel when they walk into this house. That does not happen on accident, but it takes people who are very intentional about making a great first impression on people when they come through the doors. And that some of our saints who, uh, man, they, they are coming here, and this is a refuge. And uh, it is not just a smile on a face, but there is something about somebody standing in that lobby who is allowing the Holy Ghost to work through them. They become the hands and the arms of our God. Amen. And so I thank them for doing such a great job. And, and I want to thank Sister Rachel Vera tonight who helps organize and run our, our VIP room for all of our first-time guests. And uh, you don't know this unless you've been a first-time guest since we launched that program, but uh, we do it on Sunday mornings specifically, but all of our first-time guests are ushered into uh, a room that we have prepared that is just first class. And when you walk in there, the ambiance is beautiful, and uh, there are some refreshments laid out in coffee, and every week we have different people and uh, different leaders representing this church that are scheduled back there. First Lady and myself make it a point every Sunday, as soon as we can break from the platform, we head back there and uh, we get a chance to just welcome all of our guests. And we, I'm just telling you, there are some amazing things that come out of those interactions and it gives us a great chance to, uh, to how many of you know we ought to be doing everything we can to reach the people of our city? We ought to be doing everything we can. And you've heard the old saying before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, so she does such a great job, her and uh, the team that she has that helps her on Sundays. And, uh, and then when you come into the house of the Lord, uh, so many great things happening. How many of you thank God for the, the wonderful music and fine arts department here at the church? that do such a great job under the capable leadership of our very own First Lady. Amen. And what an incredible job they do ushering us and leading us into the presence of the Lord. And then I want to thank our sound ministry and Sister Sloss, who is our director over our, our sound, our public address system. She does such a great job making it sound amazing. And uh, thank you for that, Sister Sloss. You do such a great, great job. She's professional, y'all. Amen. And uh, we thank God for that. And then, of course, you, you see some cameras around here. And uh, the beginning of this year, with all of the challenges and uh, unknowns that were unfolding with uh, COVID-19, we decided to go ahead and launch our video ministry. And I'm telling you, they do an amazing job. How many of you have had the privilege of looking at an archive service or watching something? They just do a first-class job. And so I want to say thank you to that entire team uh, who gives of their, their time to experience the service from behind a camera. And uh, we know that that is a sacrifice that lends a blessing to many. And so I want to say thank you to them for what they do. And then, of course, uh, we have an amazing media team 
that helps make sure that all of the multimedia that we use. Brother Andy Whitmire is our lead media technician, does such a great job, him and the rest of the media team that work together and uh, do such a great, great job. And then another team that you really uh, don't sometimes even know is here unless you are a benefactor of what they're doing. But we have an amazing translation team led by Sister Ramirez. Amen. And every single service is translated into two additional languages. We translate every service into Spanish and every service into Creole simultaneously. And so there's an entire team of translators that work on a schedule and uh, all of our guests that walk in who have an easier time or perhaps uh, do not speak the English language have the opportunity to still be blessed by everything that's happening in the house of the Lord. And so we thank them for all that they do. And I want to say thank you to our incredible cadet ministry that does such an incredible job. Amen. And currently that is led by both Brother Trevor Slost and Sister Camila Clark. And they do an amazing job leading the young men, the young ladies, and that entire team and everything that they do. And uh, I just greatly appreciate all of you. And uh, it takes an entire team of people uh, with a spirit of excellence so that when people walk into this place, they can feel the touch of God. They can feel the power of God. I want to say thank you to the faithful saints of God who show up early to pre-service prayer. Amen, who, who make the sacrifice to be here. And when you get here, you tap into what God is doing and help to prepare the ground and the atmosphere for what the Lord is doing. And so I want to say thank you. And there's so many other ministries that operate outside of the time frame of our church services. We'll be here all night long. And if I forgot, uh, if I forgot somebody that I should have mentioned tonight, please charge that to my head and not my heart. I recently turned 39, and I've noticed a little slip every once in a while of my cognition. It was recent. It wasn't that long ago that I turned 39, and so but I want to say thank you tonight. Oh, my goodness. The clean team? How did I miss that? Woo. How many of you thank God to come in, and there's no, there's no tissues laying everywhere, and piles of dirt, but they do an incredible job making sure that you have a clean restroom that you can use and that everything is swept. And Amen. A to the men. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, Sister Black is our director of sanitation. She does an amazing job leading that team. And we're so grateful for them. And all that they do. See how easy it is to just take it for granted. The amazing things that happen. Did I forget anybody else I should have mentioned? Okay, if I did, now you can blame her instead of me. Because <clears throat> I asked if there was anybody else. I'm just kidding. How many of you have been enjoying the word of the Lord that we've been diving into on our midweek services? Stand with me if you would all across. Actually, just be seated tonight. 
Just be seated. I'm not going to take a text. I'm just going to jump into this tonight. I've been endeavoring to use our Tuesday night services as an opportunity to uh, slow down a little bit and teach uh, generally topically uh, things that, that are extremely important to our walk with God. And to be, if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, I started what, what is to be a short series on the enemy of the soul. Anybody remember that? And uh, we've had a couple of things in our schedule on midweek services uh, that we have not continued that series, but I want to pick back up again tonight. And so we are going to be uh, continuing our, our study on the enemy of the soul. And we began a couple of Tuesday nights ago talking about the number one enemy of our soul. We know that that is not Satan, but it is our flesh. The greatest challenge you will ever have. Point to yourself and say, the greatest challenge I will ever have is my own flesh. It's me. Every once in a while, I need a checkup from the neck up to get rid of my stinking thinking. So that I can be what God wants me to be. And so we, we started lesson one, and I encourage you, if you were not here, to go back. You can jump on uh, YouTube. You can jump on Facebook. You can get on SoundCloud. You can get on podcast. You can order the CD. And if we have to, we'll make you an eight-track or a vinyl record to get caught up and make sure that you're uh, in synchronization with what God is doing. But we begin to talk about the flesh. And how we have to recognize the challenges. If you're going to live for God successfully, you have to be able to discern when you are dealing with your flesh. And you've got to have the fortitude and the strength and the revelation of God's word and the power of his spirit to overcome the flesh. And we took last week and defined some of those parameters and You'll remember that the word of the Lord tells us that the works of the flesh are these. Adultery and fornication and uncleanliness and lasciviousness and adultery, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And then he closes that list and says, uh, and such like He leaves a wide umbrella uh, to include things that would fall into those categories. And we begin to identify those things. And so how do we contend with the flesh? We have to have a keen awareness that when I received the Holy Ghost, my flesh did not get saved. I got 10 people that are honest in the building, the rest of y'all think those are angels' wings on the back of your shoulders. When I receive the Holy Ghost, I still have to live in this fallen carnal flesh. The Bible says that we have received this treasure in earthen vessels. This Holy Ghost I have is powerful, but I have to contend with the vessel in which it's poured. And so it creates a, 
a unique dynamic tension for the saint of God. Because we are wanting to walk in this newness of life and live for God and do what's right and do what's pleasing to God. But we have to daily contend with the tendencies of our flesh that are corrupt and do not want to do what God wants us to do. And so while we're trying to go one direction, our flesh pulls us the other direction. And we walk in this constant state of dynamic tension between the influence of our flesh and the work of the Spirit in our life. And it takes discipline. Tell your neighbor, discipline. It takes discipline along with the power of the Holy Ghost and the revelation of God's Word to be able to walk in that dynamic tension and contend with the realities and the propensities of our flesh while continuing to do the will of God every day, doing the will of God. The word discipline is where we get the word disciple. Be a disciple means that you discipline your life. You know what discipline means? Discipline means I want to, but I'm not going to. Discipline. When your, when your dog is disciplined, it wants to jump up on everybody that comes through the door. But it's learned how to discipline itself. When you are sitting at the table and you're trying to eat, he wants to jump up on the table and take the food. <laughs> well, just, just my dog. But he's, but he's disciplined. And to be a disciple, you learn how to discipline yourself against the desires of the flesh. Being a disciple doesn't mean that I'm never tempted to do wrong. Being a disciple doesn't mean that I don't ever feel like doing the wrong thing or thinking the wrong thoughts or saying, but it means that the Holy Ghost in me, I've allowed it to create a discipline in my life uh, that when I would get out of balance, uh, I'm able to stay uh, and say, no, uh, I know my flesh wants to think that way, uh, but it's not pleasing to God. Uh, my hands want to do that, uh, but I can't do it uh, and violate uh, my love for God. Uh, my want to walk there but my mouth wants to say this but the Holy Ghost in me and so we walk in this this dynamic tension between two worlds and the Bible is replete with examples of things that, that show us the challenge of this duality of existence. And so if you're taking notes, write these down tonight because this is going to be the basis from which we study tonight is uh, the, the, the delineation between these two dynamics and the contrast that the word of the Lord gives us concerning how we, we, we live. So First of all, we have two births. We have two births that we have to deal with. Every saint of God has experienced two distinct births in his or her life. One of them is a natural birth, and the other one is a spiritual birth. 
And with two such experiences, how can we expect anything less than a struggle between them? Let's explore this tonight. Read for me John chapter 3, uh, or John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. This series of verses is a cornerstone to the apostolic believer. The understanding that first of all, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven, much less enter it without being born of the spirit. Because you cannot see something spiritual with only a fleshly birth. And so it is the first indicator to us that there is another life. When you talk about the term birth, uh, it is the brand new beginning uh, of a new life. And so no matter where you are in life, uh, when you are born again, I tell your neighbor again, there is the beginning of a brand new life, a life different than the one you used to live, a life that contrasts the life that you used to live. This statement was, was, was preposterous to Nicodemus, and so he asks a question, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And, and Jesus doubles down on what he said, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a unique understanding here because nothing spiritual can be birthed out of a fleshly root. That which is born of the flesh is flesh produces flesh. That which is born of the spirit uh, is spirit. You cannot expect spiritual fruit uh, from a corrupt tree. And you cannot call the fruit from a corrupted tree spiritual. A spiritual tree will produce spiritual fruit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And so there are these two lives that we live. And we live both of them all together in one life. We have to contend with our natural birth. Our birth under the influence of the atomic nature. And we'll get into that in just a moment. And then our spiritual birth. And we have to understand that we walk in both of those two things at the same time. And as we live for God, this is where this te dynamic tension begins to take place. Because we are born with a carnal nature that from the original sin of Adam uh, is, is totally corrupted. But when we receive the Holy Ghost, God empowers us to live a new life. Be careful about calling people who are trying 
to get control of their flesh. Hypocrites. Because there's not a person under the roof of this building that doesn't have moments where you struggle in that dynamic tension. Be careful to label people in a moment of weakness. Because it is a process. As a matter of fact, you will never eradicate your human flesh until it dies. Because there's only one answer to your flesh. When it takes its last breath, that's when you'll not, not fight it any longer. This is such a powerful true that when you begin to look at the word of the Lord, it's not just the apostle Paul, but he's also Saul. He, he has a natural name and identity that was given to him, but when God gets a hold of him, he's not just the apostle Paul. He becomes, or not just Saul, he becomes the apostle Paul. But Paul still has to deal with Saul. <laughs> and, and when God finds Simon, the cussing fisherman, he gives him a new identity in Christ. You're not just going to be Simon, but you're going to be Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Woo, spiritual. But all you have to do is keep reading the story and you'll find that Peter had to continually deal with Simon. Sometimes the struggle became so real that the Bible calls him Simon Peter. So sometimes it's hard to tell which version of you are you right now. Oh, I know none of y'all sitting in here tonight. Are you, are you being Simon right now? Uh, or are you being, I'll just call you Simon Peter. Because there is this, this tension that happens uh, where you're trying to be uh, what God wants you to be, uh, but you're dealing uh, with this carnal nature that, you, that you've been born into. Thou shalt no longer be called Jacob. Jacob means subplanner or deceiver. You grew up in a dysfunctional family. Your mama taught you how to lie. Oh, yeah, we always talk about Jacob, but it was his mama teaching him how to be deceptive. I can't get no help in the building. Sometimes when you find kids that got problems, all you got to do is look at the tree they came off of. I can't get no Holy Ghost help in the building tonight. And it wasn't just his mama. I mean, if you want to keep stuff, his, his uncle Laban was a trickster. <laughs> Worked for seven years to marry one of your girls, and then you put a different one in the bed. Now, I haven't worked all the details out on that yet because I don't understand some things. That's one of those questions I'm going to ask the Lord one day. But he, but, but he took advantage of his own nephew. And then work another seven years and, and then try to take advantage of a cattle, uh, a cattle deal. And, and, and so you wonder where Jacob, why they called him a deceiver. Well, he, he learned it somewhere. His mama teaching him how to get the birthright, just go in there. And you're going to fake like your voice is your brother's. And then if you'll put a little bit of fur on your hand, dear God, have mercy. Learning how to be a trickster. 
But when God gets a hold of him across the forge of Bach, thou shalt no longer be called Jacob. For as a prince hast thou power. That's how I hear it in my head anyway. Hast thou power with God and with men. You know, the conversion moments are always so powerful. The moment of, of Holy Ghost infilling and that, that new moment of beginning, there's something about a brand new beginning that's invigorating. Uh, that's why you can't match uh, the intensity of a brand new convert uh, who really gets a hold of God. There's something powerful and invigorating about uh, that brand new uh, life. Oh, but give it just a while. He has to contend with Jacob, the dual tension. Am I Jacob or am I Israel? God, you said that I would no longer be called Jacob, but over and over again, they said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and. And so we have to, to deal with this. And you could put whatever name you want to put on yourself. But you've got to deal with the old you and the you that God has called you to be. And if you study the scripture there, there's even allegorical examples from the Old Testament that, that reveal to us and show us this, this dynamism of duality. Read for me Galatians chapter 4 verses 23 through 29. But he who, who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Now, let me give you a little bit of, of, of history behind this verse in Galatians. He is referring directly to the births of Ishmael and Isaac. And he is directly referring to the bondwoman by the name of Hagar. And the free woman, which is the legitimate mother of Isaac. Read on. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which Ooh. is Agar. So these are the two covenants. Do you understand? This is so powerful, and, and, and more than likely the Apostle Paul was the writer of the book of Galatians, and, and I always contend that he had probably the most amazing revelation of Old Testament types and shadows. And so he says this is one of the two covenants, and he, and he uses the example, read on, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So he is taking the modern day nations that have come from the seed of Ishmael and of the seed of Isaac, and he is working them back to their origin. They're fighting even until modern day today. There is a war between those two peoples today that had its origin all the way back. And they are a representation of something that is born under the covenant of flesh and something that is born under the covenant of spirit and promise. Read on. But Jerusalem, which is above us, is free, which is the mother of us all. Talking about the church, and I don't have time to preach all this tonight. Read. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that thou that bearest not. Break forth and cry that thou travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Uh -huh. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was and the children of promise. Tell your neighbor, now we. Read. 
But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after he the spirit. He that was born after the flesh. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Ishmael. Who was born after the flesh. Persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so, it is now. There's a struggle between the offspring of a covenant with flesh and a covenant with spirit. And you have to be keenly aware that your flesh will never produce a seed that brings promise. When you follow the desire and the passion and the, we use the word lust and we automatically sexualize that term. But lust is simply a, a raw term for desire. It could be your desire to do what you want to do. It could just be your will. But when you allow the lust or the desire of the flesh to be the thing that dictates your life and leads you, it will never produce the promise of God only uh, the covenant with the spirit uh, will produce uh, the promise of God uh, that's in your life and there is always a temptation I may not even finish this we may have to do lesson three there is always a temptation as you try to live for God to cave in to the one instead of the other and to do what you want to do instead of what God says to do. To do what appeals and satisfies the flesh uh, instead of crucifying the flesh uh, and obeying the truth uh, of God's word. You see this fleshed out in the relationship between Abraham and Sarah and the promise of God because he tells them, I'm going to give you a child that is going to be a promise and a miracle from me. But unbelief caused them to try to produce in the flesh what could only be produced in the spirit. I have found that a lot of times people struggle with their carnality is due to a lack of faith in their life. They fall into a, a, a season or moments of unbelief and they become discouraged. And so in, in a moment of discouragement, they begin to operate in carnality. Abraham believed God, but Sarah laughed. Her laugh was a laugh of unbelief. I don't think it's ever going to happen for me. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. It's too late in life. It's too hard. It's not going to happen. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of just following all these God said and what God, when is it ever going to be my turn? Well, I guess if it's going to happen, I'm going to have to do it myself and help God. That is a work of the covenant of the flesh. That's exactly what Galatians is using to give us this example. And so here's what is spawned. Here is part of the carnal thinking of the carnal man. Have you ever heard the old adage, the end justifies the means? I get worried when I hear apostolics begin to talk like that because it is a death deception from hell. 
the idea of the end justifies the means means that as long as my, the, 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 the ending and the motive of the ending is right, it doesn't matter how I get there. Do you know where that phrase became popular? It became popular by a 19th century Russian revolutionist by the name of Segev. And it came from a political theory called, uh, it was called, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, consequentialism. And consequentialism says that as long as the end result is moral, God said I needed to have a baby. As long as we get to that end, it doesn't matter how I get there. This is very close cousin to the idea of situational ethics. The idea that right and wrong is really fluid depending on your particular circumstance. In other words, what's right for you and everybody else is not necessarily right for me based on my struggles and my thoughts and my opinions. And when you start following into that slope uh, where you allow your own humanism to become the, the guiding force and the GPS system of your life, uh, you are in covenant with flesh. And flesh, that which is born of flesh, is flesh. Your flesh will never produce uh, the promise of God. I hope you're listening to me tonight. Don't tune your pastor out. As a matter of fact, I think it's in 2 Timothy. The Bible says that if a man is going to strive, he must strive lawfully. God never breaks his principles in order to accomplish his promise. If the principles of God's word have to be broken, that's not the promise of God. It's an Ishmael. If you had to cheat to get it, it's an Ishmael. If you had to lie to get it, it's an Ishmael. If you had to be unfaithful to do it, it's an Ishmael. If you had to be unfaithful, come on somebody. You cannot produce the promise of God out of a fleshly covenant. And this is the struggle that happens. You don't believe it's important? Just ask Uzzah who was trying to help and when the Ark of the Covenant was falling, isn't it, doesn't it seem like such a noble thing? I'm just trying to keep the Ark from falling. <laughs> That's the, that is the definition of what I'm talking about. Because that is a noble idea that I will violate the command of God that says not to touch the Ark. God could care less about the noble intention. God honored his principle. And so when Uzzah reached his hand up, Uzzah died. God wanted them to know, I don't need your help. The glory of God is never in trouble. Sarah, I don't need your help. I gave you a promise and your unbelief is causing you to put your hand on something that does not need human effort. What you need is to trust and obey my word so that the covenant of promise or spirit can produce the promise in your life. And so this becomes part of you learning how to live for God. 
And I'm amazed at how many people will live for God for years and never get this revelation. Somehow they become blinded in a level of self-righteousness that they cannot see the discrepancies of their carnal nature trying to kill them. And they begin to reason away. Talked her husband into lying with a, a concubine thinking that I could somehow get to God's promise through a concubine. And so we deal with two births. If you're writing this down, we don't just deal with two births, but we deal with two natures. Every Christian possesses two natures. One that is fleshly and one that is spiritual. What time is it? 841. Man, we're still good. In case you take the medicine, it's 841. Don't want you to be late. And so by natural birth, we inherit and we have a carnal earthly nature. Read for me Romans chapter 1 verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. I don't have time to go through all of this, but you can see in this verse of scripture where he begins to delineate and show how the carnal fallen nature of man will always oppose the natural things of God. And in this case, he uses the example, if you keep reading, of homosexuality and lesbianism. What are they? They are a mockery of the nature of God. God created a man and a woman. He created them anatomically to reproduce. And there is something in the scripture called the law of harvest. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's why God created everything with the ability to reproduce itself. He didn't create, he created a tree one time. And inside of the tree was the seed and the fruit and the ability to reproduce itself. Even when he destroys man from the face of the earth, he still leaves eight people. He doesn't create man again. The seed that's left in the earth reproduces. And a homosexual or a lesbian relationship is a mockery of the nature of God. It cannot reproduce. I don't have time to get into all of that. Two natures. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Read Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by the nature the children of wrath, even as others. In Ephesians chapter 2, he is speaking from a position of testimony. Whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh. When I get the Holy Ghost, I don't talk the way I used to talk. I don't have the same kind of conversations that I used to have. Can I just stop here for a moment? Uh, I don't tell dirty jokes uh, like I used to tell uh, before I got the Holy Ghost. 
Let me broaden it out a little bit. I don't gossip uh, about people uh, like I used to in the world. Uh, when I get the Holy Ghost, uh, my conversation changes. He said, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature. Somebody say nature. By nature, we were the children of wrath. Being born under that endemic curse by nature. So we're dealing with two natures. But because we have been born again, we are now made partakers of the divine Nature. This is the original nature in which God intended for humanity to live under. Read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We become partakers of the divine nature nature. Tell your neighbor divine nature. Having escaped the corruption <coughs> that is in the world through lust. So we have two births. We have two natures. And we have, write this down, two walks. We have two walks. And in context with scripture, to walk means to order one's behavior or conduct. As you begin to live for God, you will constantly be presented with two roads, one of them rise to meet you. Jesus said, one of them is narrow and straight and leads to life everlasting. The other one is broad and wide, and it leads to destruction. And before we just haplessly walk in these paths, we should look at its destination. Too many times we are overtaken by the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. And we do not look past the facade of the here and now to the destiny of where the road leads to. And we think that because the roads have the same point of origin, that they have the same destination. But as you begin to inspect those two different things, you will begin to learn to walk circumspectly and carefully. I'm not just going to knee-jerk with my first reaction about things. One place, the book of Proverbs says that there is a way. Some transliterations say a pathway that seemeth right unto a man. I looked at it. I contemplated. I did the math. I, I figured it all out. And it seemeth there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That tells me that our carnal nature has a propensity to consider the beginning of a thing and not the ending of it. 
And so there are two walks. We can walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. Each of them have consequence to them. One with the consequence of blessing from God. The other with the rewards of iniquity. Read for me Romans chapter 8 verses 4 through 8. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. We have to become adept at inspecting fruit because too many times we are opening ourselves to influence without inspecting the fruit that's coming from that source of influence. And we cannot open ourselves up to direction from carnal sources because a carnal source will never lead you in a spiritual direction. I don't care how good it sounds. It's, it's anything carnal is going to sound good to your flesh. I got 10 honest people in the building. Rebellion sounds good to your flesh. Self-will sounds good to the flesh. And if you're carnal, it will be attractive. But when you begin to walk down that road, it leads to destruction. Read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the walk flesh. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. People who are fulfilling the lust of the flesh are not walking in the spirit. Did y'all catch that deep revelation there? Really hard to understand revelation. Read. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Yes. And the spirit against the flesh. Yes. And these are contrary the one to the other. Right. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Uh-huh. But if ye be led, by, led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. So this is a powerful concept. We have two walks. And every day as I'm walking, I've got to be careful about where I'm putting my feet. Am I walking in the path of carnality or am I walking in the path of spirituality? When I come to the fork in the road, what signs am I reading? What voices am I allowing to speak direction into my life? Am I taking cues from spiritual sources or from carnal sources? The problem with these things is that sometimes the destination can take a long time to get there. And a wrong path can look like a right path until you get to the wrong destination. And if you're not careful, you'll observe people on the wrong path and think, well, look, they're still happy. Well, look, they're still blessed. Well, look, they're still praising God. They haven't got to the destination of the road they're on. 
And the Bible says, judge not a matter before it's time. The Holy Ghost will talk to you before the destination. If you walk in the Spirit, uh, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Holy Ghost will talk to you and say, no, that's not a good idea. The Holy Ghost will talk to you and say, uh, uh, you, you, better, you better let that go in one ear uh, and out the other. The Holy Ghost will talk to you and say, you probably shouldn't be spending time over here uh, right now. The Holy Ghost, if you allow it to, uh, the Bible said in Psalm 23 uh, that he leads me uh, besides still waters. Uh, in another place it says he'll lead me uh, in paths uh, of righteousness uh, for his namesake. But in order for him to lead, you've got to be listening to godly influence, not carnal influence. Tell your neighbor two walks. You still with me tonight? We deal with two births. Two natures, two walks, and then we deal with two laws. Two laws. Now, in the context that we're speaking tonight, we are not talking about a law as in a decree or a rule. We are talking about a law that governs the realities of the life that we live in. For example, Newton's law of motion. Is that right? Is he the one that did the law of motion? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, all of that stuff. Those are, are laws of physics that this is the way it is. Whether you understand it or don't understand it. Whether you like it or don't like it. The law of gravity. I don't care if you want to jump off the top of the roof and think you can fly. I don't care how much you believe you can. I believe I can fly. Ooh, yeah. Well, go ahead with your bad self. The law of gravity will not stop because of you. The law of, what's another good one? What's the law of Albert Einstein? E, e equals mc squared. The law of relativity? Energy equals mass squared by the speed of light. Is that right? The, the E mc squared? Something, am I, it's been a long time. That's, that's a law whether you understand it or don't understand it. Now, it would help you to understand some of these laws. It will keep you from killing yourself. I don't jump off of this platform right now because I understand the law of gravity. But it blows me away at the people who try to live for God and ignore the laws of God and think that you can survive spiritually and ignore God's laws. There are laws that govern the kingdom of God. And if you don't respect them, you'll die spiritually. You'll die. I don't care how mad you are at your brother or sister or justified you feel. I don't care. The law are the laws of God, and they are perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, the Bible says, converting the soul. When you operate in the realm of the supernatural, you had better be paying attention to the laws of the supernatural. 
Now, when I say supernatural, is this all right tonight? What time is it? 7 o'clock. It's 7 o'clock somewhere. Yeah, y'all, y'all smiling right now. Let me preach another hour and watch. I won't be able to buy an amen for $100. There are laws that govern. Now, when I, now when I use the term supernatural, we automatically spiritualize that, and, and, and we can and we will. But, but let me get you to think first in the natural. The word supernatural is a compound word, super, which simply means beyond. Natural, which means nature, the laws of nature. So supernatural just means something that goes beyond the boundaries of nature. When you get in an airplane and fly, that's supernatural. We weren't designed to fly. We don't, we don't have wings and feathers and jet packs built into our shoulder blades. So when we fly, there's, that, that's a supernatural. It, it exceeds na- nature. Somebody discovered the, the equation of thrust, and you have to have two times the level of, of, uh, of, of, of thrust to the weight of the object in order to create lift, I think. I, I don't remember all that. Smart people will. But it's supernatural. But you know what? If you're going to successfully navigate in the arena of the supernatural, you had better know the laws of the supernatural. Huh, Sister Wanda Lee, you spend a lot of time in those airplanes. You trust that the people in the cockpit understand the laws that govern that dimension of the supernatural. Because if they don't, you're going to get killed. Killed. When you scuba dive, that is supernatural. We're, we're not designed to stay under the water. We don't have gills. We have lungs. You can hold your breath for a moment, but to stay under for a prolonged period of time, that is supernatural. I'm a certified scuba diver. And, and 99% of becoming certified was not in the water with scuba gear on. It was studying books and understanding the laws that govern sub, you know, aquatic activity. And if you ignore those rules and you just come from 60 feet down up to the surface really quick and you don't understand for the sloths, scuba dives, and you don't understand all that, you're going to die. And there are laws that govern the supernatural that if you ignore them in trying to live for God, you will die. For example, one of those laws is the law of submission and spiritual authority. It's a law of God whether you like it or don't like it. It's God's way whether we we like it. Your, Your carnal man is not going to like it. There's two laws that compete. And so if you decide that you're going to ignore the laws of submission in your life and embrace rebellion, which is the antithesis of submission, spiritual death will inevitably come to you. It may not happen immediately. The destination isn't always a five-minute journey. But if you ignore the law long enough, it will lead to destruction. Just ask King, uh, what's his head? Saul. See, I got too many biblical names running in my head tonight. Who thought 
that he could operate outside of spiritual authority. Why circumstantialism? The means to an end. Oh, there needs to be an offering taken. Well, I'll get it done. He bypasses the whole protocol of spiritual authority in his life. And when the man of God confronts him, he says, well, the end justifies the means. It had to get done. Why not me? Because God doesn't break protocol in his law. God doesn't break his own laws. And Saul persisted over and over and over. He would not listen. He would not submit. He was going to do things his way. And you know what? God rejected him as king. And the prophet said, God has, the way you've torn the cloak of my garment, God has snatched the kingdom from your hands. And you want to know what happened the next day? Guess who was sitting on the throne? King Saul. And guess who was sitting on the throne the next day? King Saul. And the next week and the next month. God will fire you and let you keep coming to work. And you'll begin to operate like a dead man walking. Still paying your tithes. Still coming to church. Still putting on a front to everybody else like you're living for God. When God has already, you've broken the law and God has already pulled the plug. And so, this, these things are in the Bible for a reason. Because here's the flip side of that coin. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to walk down that road. You don't have to make those kind of choices. All you have to do uh, is learn uh, to walk according to the Spirit, uh, and you will not fulfill uh, the lust of the flesh. Tell your neighbor two walks. Tell your neighbor two laws. Can I keep preaching for a few moments? Write this down if you're taking notes. You have to have a revelation of two fathers. Two fathers. If I have two births, I have to understand that I have two fathers. In our Adamic birth, our natural birth, in Adam we all die. But in Christ, we are all made alive. Adam and Christ serve as the head of two distinct generations. And the Christian has both as a father from each an inherited nature, an inherited mind, an inherited will, along with other attributes. Adam is our father according to the flesh. When we go to the fountainhead of the beginning of humanity, he is the patriarchal head of humanity. But Christ is our heavenly father. And by him and through him and his word, we are begotten unto a living hope. Read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's talking about Adam. By one man's sin, 
death has passed on to all of humanity. Read. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Woo! I, I could get hung up the rest of the night right here. Keep reading. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, mm -hmm. even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. Now pause right there because this is, this is where we get the revelation of what is known in theology as original sin. It says, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. You may not have done Adam's exact sin, but it is through his original sin that all sin is progenerated through human DNA. And then it says, who is the figure of him that was to come. Woo! So before the world began, God had all this figured out. And Adam was the figure, although he became corrupted, of what a father was supposed to be. And so since the first man, Adam, failed, there was the necessity of a second man, or the Bible calls him the last man, Adam. Because humanity was born into sin, humanity is now going to have to be born unto spirit. Read. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. If by the offense of the law, by one man, all are dead, then what? Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. By one man, he's, his grace is abounded unto many. Read. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Read on. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. For if by one man's offense, death was king because of that one. Read. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you're able to live a life full of the righteousness and the grace of God. Read. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. By one man's disobedience, uh, death came on all men. So by one man's obedience, uh, grace came to all men. Read. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Ooh. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There was one father who failed humanity. Uh, and so God said, I uh, will become the father uh, and I will redeem uh, humanity. Tell your neighbor, I've got two uh, fathers. Ooh, and I don't have time to preach it, but you can begin to study the difference the Bible calls one the first man, Adam. 
and he calls Jesus the last man to Adam. And when you begin to study these things, uh, the Bible says in Genesis 2 that the first man, Adam, was of the earth, uh, earthy. Uh, but then the book of Isaiah tells us uh, that the last man, Adam, uh, he had said uh, that he would be born the mighty God, uh, the everlasting Father, uh, the Prince of Peace. Uh, one was born of the earth, earthly, uh, but the second man, Adam, uh, was God himself, uh, robed in flesh. In Genesis chapter number 3, Satan deceives humanity by quoting and misquoting the word of God. But in the wilderness, the second man, Adam, defeats Satan by quoting the word of the Lord. It is written. Woo. The first man, Adam, disobeys God in the garden. But the last man, Adam, on his knees, surrenders in obedience unto God. Not my will, but thy will be done. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, the curse of man uh, is originated from the tree. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, the last man, Adam, uh, breaks the curse uh, by hanging uh, on a tree. I've got two fathers. Uh, I've got an Adamic father, uh, and then I've got a father uh, that broke the curse uh, of death and sin uh, over my life. I wish I had a church in here tonight. The first man, Adam's wife, was brought from his side and out of the dust of the earth she was brought forth. But the second man, Adam, the book of Acts says that he hath purchased her with his own blood. When they pierced him in his side, forthwith came blood and water. We can't stop there. We'll just, we will never leave tonight. Tell your neighbor, two fathers. You have two births, two natures, two walks, two laws, two fathers. What time is it? 9-10. How many of y'all give me five more minutes? Raise your hand. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. I'm good. I'm good. We, I got at least an hour. <laughs> two minds. I have to contend with two minds. Now that we've been born again, we have within us the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit within us. The intellect, the wisdom, and the knowledge of both seek to direct our path. Read Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Desires of the flesh and of the mind. Read Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. That tells you that your original state will not be the mind of Christ in you. 
You have to allow that process to happen. I'm sorry, all of you well-intended philanthropists that say that mankind is by nature good. No, he's not. I felt something right there. Some of y'all been listening too much to ungodly wisdom. Mankind's nature is fallen. The Bible says man is but a few days and full of trouble. Uh, you ain't got to teach a kid to lie. Uh, they learn how to hide and be deceptive. You ain't got to teach them how to roll on the floor and pitch a fit. Uh, mankind is not. You have to allow uh, the process uh, of regeneration, uh, receiving the Holy Ghost. Uh, you have to allow the mind of Christ uh, to be in you. And when that mind of Christ is in you, there is a competing mindset that you constantly have to deal with. Your mind is shaped both by the fallen Adamic nature and by the way you're raised and the experiences of life. And when you come to the altar, you know what you drag with you? All of, I'm going to make up a word here, all of the historicity. See, I told you ahead of time I'm making it up, so it's okay. Of who you are. Some of it good and some of it evil. Oh, yeah. There's things that Mamanim taught you that defies the laws of God. There's ways of thinking that you grew up in your culture that are in direct opposition to God's way of doing things. And if you're going to be what God wants you to be, uh, you've got to go through the process uh, of divorcing yourself uh, from those things uh, that are contrary uh, to the word of God. Uh, somewhere your identity has to quit lying in your family tree uh, and it has to become part of Calvary's uh, tree. Uh, somewhere you've got to denounce uh, the Edemic father uh, and you have to ascribe uh, your, uh, your, your posterity to your heavenly father. I know you watched your mama two snaps and a twist can't touch this everybody every time she got mad. But that ain't the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wants you to learn how to have grace. The Holy Ghost wants to wants you to learn how, how to bless them that curse you, how to love them that, oh, I can't buy an amen for $100. Uh, what you got to do is get the mind of Christ uh, in you, uh, who they slapped him on the cheek, uh, and he turned and gave them the other cheek, uh, who stood on a cross uh, and said, Lord, forgive them, uh, for they know not what they do. I'm sorry, I know you watched your aunts uh, and your grandmama hold grudges uh, against people, uh, for weeks and months and years uh, but that's not the Holy Ghost uh, that's not the mind of God uh, that is the carnal mind uh, and if you're going to make it to heaven uh, somewhere uh, you've got to find an altar uh, and let the Holy Ghost uh, grab a hold of your mind uh, and change uh, the way that you think particular mindsets we have to divorce ourselves from. I know mama taught you that the way to get a man
take that a step further because I, I, I catch wind every once in a while in apostolic culture nowadays of this idea that you flirt to convert. That's a lie from hell. You don't flirt with the world. Bible says to come out from among them and be ye separate, uh, saith the Lord, uh, and touch not uh, the unclean thing. I can't get no Holy Ghost help. Uh, all that is uh, is a road uh, that seemeth right unto a man, uh, but the end thereof uh, are the ways of death. Uh, I know you got grand plans. Uh, I know you got big ideas uh, that you're going to change her. Uh, you're going to change him, uh, but the devil is a liar, baby. Uh, if God can't change him, uh, who do you think you are? Uh, if the Holy Ghost can't change him, uh, what do you think? Oh, come on, somebody. You might get God mad at you uh, when you step in and interrupt uh, how God's trying to work in their life. There's these mindsets. I know, sir, you watched your daddy do things a certain way. But when you get the Holy Ghost, God's going to teach you a new way. He's going to teach you how to love your wife. He's going to teach you how to spend time with your children instead of sitting on a video game uh, for hours and hours on end uh, while your family is destitute uh, and void of their father's presence. Oh, come on, somebody. When I was a child, I spake as a child. Uh, but when I grew up, I got rid of childish things. There ain't nothing wrong with playing games. Ain't nothing wrong with video games. But when it begins to throw your life out of balance, I know, I, I know, I know, I know what I'm talking about because now I'm pastoring a generation of kids whose daddies do, do nothing else but to stay up playing video games all night long every day. And now the kids are dealing with the repercussions. And I'm trying to teach your kids how to be what God wants them to be, uh, but they got to go home uh, and deal with something else that they see. I I'm going to preach to some young people for a minute. You let the mind of Christ get a hold of you. Uh, you let God's way get a hold of you. Uh, you pray for your mama. Uh, you pray for your daddy. Uh, you love them. Uh, you respect them. Uh, but, baby, you go in your bedroom uh, and you get on your knees uh, and you find a place uh, with God uh, and let him get a hold to you uh, and let him put a call in your life uh, and let him lead you uh, into destiny uh, and greatness. Uh, he did not give you that mind uh, to waste your time. I, I know, I know, I know. I know you watched things go on a certain way in your family and you watched but part of God's process is he's going to give you a new mind. He's going to give you a new way of thinking. He's going to give you a new way of handling things. I know, young man, you watched uh, your daddy lose his temper uh, and cuss people out. Uh, and you watched your daddy lose his temper uh, and hit your mama uh, and beat your kids. Uh, but I'm a living witness uh, and a testimony uh, that if you'll let the Holy Ghost have its way, uh, you can be different. Uh, you can walk a different road. Uh, you can walk a different path. Uh, oh, I'm preaching to somebody in this place. I'm preaching about enemies of the soul.
These are the things that are going to be the difference between heaven and hell. These are the difference between people uh, who make it living for God uh, and people who backslide. Uh, these are the things uh, that make the difference uh, between the people on the pew uh, and the people that should be on the pew tonight. Uh, but they're lost uh, in a whole storm cloud uh, of confusion in their life. Two minds. He's got to contend with that old mindset. Read Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We already read that, Colossians 2 and 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. I don't have time to preach all this. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. I hear a lot of talk from people about having an open mind. And I understand the sentiment. I get it. You ought to be approachable. You ought to be able to listen. I understand all of those things. But when it comes to the principles of God, they are not open for discussion. When it comes to the truth of God's word, uh, it is not up for debate. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have room in my thinking. Uh, it is not debatable. Uh, I, I don't care about your opinion. Uh, I don't care about my opinion. Uh, there's only one thing uh, that is going to be the final arbiter of truth uh, on that day. Uh, it's going to be this word. Uh, and so I gird up the loins uh, of my mind. Uh, if it doesn't line up with this book, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm not embracing your ideology. I'm not taking your suggestion. I'm not accepting your request. I'm going to live my life based on the principle of this word. Amen. The carnal mind is the enemy of God and it seeks to dominate your life. Spiritual mindedness brings life and peace. Read for me Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This goes back to the laws of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. That's the end of the road of carnal thinking. Spiritual death and sometimes physical. But to be spiritually minded is life, peace. Is there anybody in this building that you want to experience life and peace? If that's what you want to experience somewhere, you're going to have to contend with your carnal mind that does not want to surrender to the will of God, that does not want to subject itself to the law of God. Music come, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I've got much more we could teach tonight, but I, I feel the Holy Ghost working right now in this place. There is only one 
scriptural method for controlling and taking dominion over the flesh. The Bible is concise and very clear on how we are to handle this enemy of the soul. Though unpleasant in method, it is very successful. The Bible tells us that we are to crucify the flesh in order to be alive unto God. Crucifixion was a cruel means of death. It was frowned on by both God and humans. It was reserved as fatal punishment for only the absolute worst dregs of society. God's word declares that those who are crucified are cursed by God. Christ was made a curse for us through his crucifixion. You can read it in Galatians 3 when you get home. And now we have the responsibility of crucifying the flesh in a spiritual sense as a means of self-control. You can read it when you get home, but Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6 says that our old man is crucified with Christ. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, Paul was crucified with Christ. Galatians 5 and 22 says that those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Galatians 6 and 14 says that we are to be crucified to the world and the world to us. As we stand across this house, and I, I feel the Holy Ghost working on somebody tonight as we stand all across this building. And you can come tonight. As I've, I've got one more, one more thing. As you, as you come, just, just listen as you come. Discipleship has three prerequisites. How many of you want to be a disciple of, of Christ? Come on, raise, raise your hand tonight if you, if you want to be a disciple of His. Just raise your hand. I, I want to be a disciple of Christ. Discipleship has three prerequisites according to Luke chapter 9 and chapter 14. Jesus said, if ye are going to be one of my disciples, he said that you, number one, are going to have to deny yourself. Part of walking in the Spirit and being a disciple of Christ is learning how to say no to yourself. It's quiet in here tonight. Our society hates self-denial. 
But if you're going to be Christ, you got to become comfortable with the word no. Your discipleship is never trusted in the yes. Your discipleship is always trusted in the no. If any man be my disciple, let him deny himself. The second prerequisite, he says, let him pick up or take up his cross. Another place says daily. Every day, you're going to pick up the cross. Your friend can't pick it up for you. Your BFF can't live for God for you. I'm all about BFFs, but your walk with God had better get past your BFF. You cannot live for God vicariously through your friendships. Woo. If your walk with God is built on friendships, it'll fall on friendships. And if your friend falls, you'll go with them. You're going to have to get your own cross. You're going to have to make your own commitment every day to God. I don't care what nobody else is doing. I'm picking up this cross again today. The symbol of Christianity is not a crown. It's a cross. The emblem of suffering and pain. You can't be a disciple without pain. You can't be a disciple without being lied on. You can't be a disciple without learning how to be spit upon and castigated. The cross wasn't about the easy times. The cross was the culmination of the pain and the struggle. Deny yourself. Pick up the cross because it takes self-denial to pick up the cross. Your flesh doesn't want to carry no cross. And thirdly, follow me. Two walks. Are you going to follow your carnal self? Or are you going to follow me this way? This way. God leads people. He doesn't get behind them and shove them. If you belong to God, you're going to. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And a stranger, they will not. God's not going to get. Be, God's not going to go to your house and jump in your house and pick you up and kick you out the door and make you be what He wants you to be. He's going to call and then watch to see if you're going to follow. It's going to be in services like this where His word's going to go forth, and then He's going to wait to see if you're going to come and pray. And He's going to watch your response. All over this house, I wonder if we can lift our hands tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost talking to us tonight. For the Holy Ghost talking to us tonight. Come on. These are the kind of settings. These are the kind of services. These are the kind of moments where things are 
built in our life and there are stones, foundational stones that are placed uh, in our walk with God. Come on, I, I feel like tonight is one of those nights there needs to be somebody that needs to find a place of prayer right now where you say, all right, God, uh, place that foundational stone in my life. Uh, all right, God, I want you to lay that thing down uh, in my life uh, so I can build uh, my walk with you on it. Come on, all over this sanctuary. Would somebody just lift your hands and pray? Somebody that's in the pew needs to come to the altar tonight. Come on, there's somebody in the pew. God's calling you. God's reaching for you. Will you follow me? Your flesh doesn't like the altar. The altar is a place of death. It's a place of crucifixion. It's a place of dying. But somebody tonight needs to tell your flesh, no, I'm not listening to you. No, I'm not letting you guide me. I'm not letting you control me. I'm not giving in to my carnal desires. Come on, somebody right now. Come on, somebody right now. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody right now. Come on, Come on, it's not that late tonight. Somebody, somebody talk to him. God, I've got to make it. God, i got to make it in my walk with you. God, i got to make it all the way. God, I can't lose my soul over some of these things. Come on, somebody, tonight is a night of repentance. Tonight is the night uh, of turning away uh, from old mindsets uh, and turning away uh, from old behaviors uh, and turning away uh, from carnal ideologies. Uh, come on, tonight, tonight. Come on, let his word, let his word find its place uh, into your spirit tonight. Come on, let his word find its place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I surrender. Come on, now. 